Uh, well, welcome to all of you. We are so glad that you were here to worship with us this morning, to be a part of singing praises, reading scripture, our time of prayer together. If you're visiting with us, we are especially thankful for your presence. And we do this thing called coffee time in our, oh goodness, family center. Thank you. Family center, which is through this door and down a very short hall. You can't miss it. It looks a lot like a gym, but we're going to call it a family center. And coffee time is wild. It is, um, you're not going to believe this, it's a time where we have coffee and I know, I know, and we would love to share a cup of coffee with you if you're visiting with us this morning to get to know you a little bit better, maybe show you where uh, you and your family can go to Bible class, point your kids in the right direction. Uh, So if you're visiting, please join us for coffee time this morning. If you're a member, we'd love to see you over there, get your help doing that as well, and enjoy some coffee. When Jenna and I were first uh, introduced uh, to West 7th, before we'd taken the job, which we took in uh, March of 2020, which is a great time to move a third of the way across the country and, uh, you know, start a new job. It was fantastic. But when we were first introduced, I, of course, went to uh, your website, the website here at West 7th Church and, um, you know, checking out what does this church do? What are they into? What are their activities? What does the scheduling look like? And I was fascinated by the Sunday evening plan that the elders and ministers put together for this church. You know, Sunday evenings have seen a lot of change uh, through the years, right? They used to be uh, kind of a necessity for many families, many congregations in the world wars and in the factory boom that followed afterwards, right? That was kind of a mirroring of the service in the morning. And so it was very important. It was a necessity and then kind of evolved into its own programming on Sunday evenings. And eventually, you know, there's several churches that don't even have a Sunday evening service. They don't have anything in that time slot, right? And so it's kind of all over the place. It's a big spectrum. And so when I go to our website and I see, hey, we're doing all sorts of very different stuff on Sunday evenings. There's room for small group Bible studies where we meet in people's homes and study together. There's congregational connects where we meet together in the teen center and we we have worship or we have a very, you know, specific thing that we're going to do together. There's service projects. There's area-wide worship that we do with the youth. And there's these things called home devotionals, and that's kind of what we want to talk about this morning briefly um, before Sunday, before Randy gives us our sermon. You know, we have all these things planned, and then 2020 kind of threw all of those plans, programs, ideas, things that we feel are good for our families, really threw them for a loop. And so it wasn't until fall of 2021 that we were kind of getting back on track with that. And, uh, you know, we're really just now getting back to area-wides with our teens. We're just now getting back to small groups, and we've had kind of a, a semester, if you will, of getting back on track with those. And so now, as we've entered into 2022, a new year, we have this opportunity to start fresh, right? The new year encourages us to start fresh with so many different things. And so this morning, I want to take just a second and encourage you as individuals and you as your family, whatever your family looks like, whether that's just a couple or whether you're single or whether you have 14 kids like I feel like I do, right? Whatever your family looks like, I want to encourage you to reconsider a fresh start with our home devotionals. These are devotionals or Bible studies that are written for adults, families with children. They're written with everybody in mind, and they're written for interaction between parents and children. They're meant to be led by the adults and participated in by the children, They are intended to create biblical conversation for couples around the dinner table, when you're in your car together, and they're meant to stir up Jesus talks with our children before bed. 
in Ephesians 5, Paul says to consider your ways. He actually says, you know, consider how you walk, making the best use of your time because the days are evil. Time flies by. It, it treats us all poorly, right? It's going to be gone before we know it. And he says, that's evil. Oh, man, it's awful how quickly time flies. And so consider how you spend your time. Consider even 20 minutes, Paul, you betcha, right? Two things. There is no better way to invest your time, and I think we would all say this out loud and we would all agree, but do we do this? There is no better way to invest our time with our families than spending it in prayer and reading of scripture and having these biblical conversations, even if it's five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. And secondly, and this is kind of on a personal note, and I appreciate Randy asking me to kind of introduce our theme for the Sunday uh, evening, our home devotionals, and what that's going to look like for 2022, um, because it is something that I'm passionate about. It is something that I'm excited about us doing as families. We studied this Ephesians 5 passage this last fall in our youth group class, and it was very interesting to see how many of our teens really had their interest peaked at this idea of slowing down, this idea of Sabbath, this idea of pause, and do we schedule that into our time? When we start considering our boundaries, our time, and how it is spent, and our plans moving forward, we said, are we resting enough? How are we taking the Sabbath seriously? Is that something that we should take seriously? And they were very interested. And it prompted you know, more class spent on topics like rest and boundaries, like I said, and this idea of biblical consistent rest as an act of worship. Because I hear our families talk about, you know, how busy we are. And I'm definitely guilty of like, yes, that is definitive of my life is how busy I am. And we see each other running to and from the parks and the gyms and on and off campuses, in and out of restaurants and stores and to and from tournaments. And we go, go, go. And then we also have work, right? We also have school on top of those things. And I'm afraid that we are sometimes convinced of the lie that our culture gives us that busyness equals success. And having more to do, having a full calendar, having a busy day, well, that means you're well-rounded. It means you're ambitious, which is great. And you are worthy if that's the case of your schedule. That is normal. God tells his people often, we see it show up first in the Old Testament with the Israelites, to stop, to rest, and in doing so, they acknowledge him as God and that he is in control. That's the big idea behind our family's home devotional theme for 2022. We're calling it PAUSE, P-A-U-S-E, not P-A-W-S. Took me a minute to, but PAUSE. And I'm excited for our families to take just a little bit uh, of time each month to focus on instances in Scripture when God's command for his people is to pause, to slow down, to retreat, to rest, to reconsider their ways, to take seriously their next steps. What are they doing with their time? Paul Harvey was a radio broadcaster, personality from the 1950s, this blew my mind, to 2008, which sounds like he was the oldest man alive. He's timeless, right? And he has this timeless, poignant segment um, from 1965 titled, If I Were the Devil. And my dad played this for me like two decades ago. It's really good. You should listen to it. But he outlines how he would operate if he were the devil in order to inflict the most pain on churches and on mankind. And he highlights some of Satan's obvious techniques like sensational media, politics, drugs, you know, to numb the people's mind, and lies about creation, lies about truth, and lies about the Bible. 
Satan wants to see the family crumble. And so he attacks marriages and he convinces us of lies. And this is something that Paul Harvey brings up and it's something that we see in scripture. And it's this truth that Satan is going to do his best to keep us busy so that we don't have time to be still. We don't have time to rest. We don't have time to pause and worship God in our stillness. So once a month, there is an insert in the bulletin. There'll be a link sent to you in your email to all of our families. It's going to include these home devotionals that are written for, again, children, adults, teens, and your families. And we're going to be reminding everybody of these monthly. We're going to be encouraging you. We're going to try to be more consistent about saying, hey, we've provided that and we want you tonight is, is a great night for rest. But in that rest and in that time that you're going to take off as a family and do nothing, that's ideal, right? But in that time, we would love for you to take 10, 15 minutes to sit down and have a conversation around these devotionals. We want to empower our families to carve out that time. Again, I appreciate Randy asking me uh, to speak a little on this subject because it is something that I'm excited about and I'm passionate about, this idea of slowing down and resting and pausing. To, and again, this isn't to make us a better Christian. This isn't going to save you. It is not the gospel, but it's part of it. It's what God wants for your life to be abundant and good here. So taking pause periodically is one of the most obvious ways that we can be different, that we can be holy, that we can be a set-apart and called people. Thank you for your time. I'm going to turn it over to Randy. Just because busy is normal, even expected, doesn't mean it's good. A couple of weeks ago, we titled the sermon, uh, Busy in Bethlehem. Remember that lesson? We talked about they were so busy, so preoccupied that there was no room in the inn. They missed the birth of the Messiah. They were so consumed with all they had to do. And I mentioned in that message that we would look at this concept of busy in the new year. We're going to do that today. I appreciate Barrett sharing a little bit of the backstory. I remember in our retreat when he was sharing with the other ministers and elders about how our young people are craving this. They're so busy. And they long for a Sabbath, a rest, a time of quiet. So your leadership has been talking about this struggle for months because we see it in our families. We hear you talking about it. We see good intentions, worthwhile goals, but we also see the nonstop demands. It's everywhere. You are truly going against the current if you're not in this crazy, busy schedule of life. But we also see the very unintended but very real consequences. Strained relationships. Marriages that are just hanging on. They're not thriving. They're just hanging on. Children being pulled in so many directions. Parents trying to do everything, pay for everything, be everywhere. We see addictions, mental health challenges, and more, even among good, faith-filled people. Just because it's normal, even expected, doesn't mean it's good. But it hasn't always been this way. What do you think about this? I did a little research on how we got where we are. I read a number of books, very helpful to me. A couple of authors I'll share with you. Richard Foster, heard of him? Dallas Willard, John Ortberg, John Mark Comer. Several of these have written books that talk about this whole concept that we are addressing. In fact, Comer's book has a title that's based on a conversation between John Ortberg and Dallas Willard. 
And it's one of those like, well, when you quote one, who are you quoting? Well, here, here's a little bit of the backstory. John Ortberg tells about a time where in his own personal life, he was just crazy busy. I mean, the demands were just incessant. His family was going 90 million miles an hour. And so he called his spiritual mentor, Dallas Willard, for advice. And he explained the pace that life was for him and his family, the incessant demands, the commitments, everywhere they had to be, all the things they had to do. And he mentioned his concern for his heart. So he asked the question, what must I do to be spiritually healthy? What must I do to be spiritually healthy? After a long pause, Dallas Willard said this. It's on the screen. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. John Ertberg heard that and thought, oh, that's good. I'm going to write that down. He said, what, what else? What else? Dallas Willard said, there is nothing else. That's it. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Then Ortberg wrote this, hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. Hurry can destroy our soul. I want us to think about that. Corey Ten Boom once said, if the devil can't make you sin, he will make you busy. Because both sin and busyness have the same effect. They cut off your connection from God, from other people, even your own soul. And again, as we pursue a spiritual life, we've got to do battle with hurry to see, okay, how do I do it all and not give in to this incredible pace. See, for many of us, the danger is not that we renounce our faith. is that we are so consumed, so distracted. We have all this to do. We're so preoccupied. If it's not our job, it's our personal schedules that we're going to settle for some mediocre version of the life God intends for us. Go with me back in time. In 1960s, there was an expert testimony given to a subcommittee in the Senate on time management. The essence was this. Because of the advances in technology and so many inventions, 1960s, how much had happened that were these time-saving devices, they, they estimated by 1985 the average, average American would only work 22 hours a week. Yeah, you heard that right. Only work 22 hours a week, and there's more, for 27 weeks a year. They thought by 1985, our biggest problem is what are we going to do with our, all of our leisure time? That's 1985. That's like, a, that's like a former lifetime. Compare how busy we are now. Now, I want to say this. Granted, there is a healthy kind of busyness. And we need to acknowledge that, where your life is full of things that matter. You're not wasting time on, on leisure things or things of trivial concerns that just waste your time. By that definition, Jesus lived a busy life. And that's good. That's wholesome. The problem is not that we have a lot to do. It's when you have so much to do that the only way to, to keep up with the quota is just to give in to this lifestyle of hurry. Michael Zigarelli from the Charleston Southern University School of Business conducted Obstacles to Growth Survey of over 20,000 Christians across the globe. He identified busyness as a major distraction from spiritual life. L listen to his, his theory. 
his hypothesis. It may be the case that Christians, one, are assimilated to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload, which leads to, two, God becoming more marginalized in Christian lives, which leads to, three, a deteriorating relationship with God, which leads to, four, Christians become even more vulnerable to adopting secular assumptions about how to live which leads to five, more conformity to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload. And then the cycle begins again. So how do we get here? If it wasn't always this way, sometimes we long for that slower pace of time. How do we get here? Well, I read about how mankind has adapted to time management over the years. Did you know that when the sundial was invented, there was criticism? Not everybody liked it. It was 200 B.C. when a Roman playwright noted this. Who in this place set up a sundial to cut and hack my day so wretchedly into small portions? Not everybody liked it. But most historians point to 1370 as the turning point in the West's relationship with time. This was the year the first public clock tower was established in Cologne, Germany. Before that, time was natural, you might say. It was linked to the sun, to the moon, to the seasons. Days were long and fruitful in the summer, short and easier in the winter. But with the invention of the clock, we stopped listening to our bodies and started waking up to an alarm. Fast forward to 1879 with Edison and the light bulb, which made it possible to stay up way past sunset without, you know, the inconvenience of a candle and oil lamp. Super easy, super common. According to Aaron Curry's book, How Electric Light Changed the World, get this, before Edison, guess how many hours a night the average person got sleep? Eleven. Can you imagine that? I mean, if you sleep 11 hours now, you think, I'm sick. Something's wrong. Before the invention of the light bulb. Then consider all the time-saving devices, technology improvements, again, over the last 100 years or so, including the, uh, from walking and horseback to automobiles, from cooking to scratch to drive throughs even delivery service. Instead of handwriting and writing a, a letter, we type and send in mail like that. Instead of washing machines, dishwashers, and microwaves, in spite of thermostats, we've got, we don't have to go out and chop wood anymore. We feel like today we have much less time, don't we? Even with all these time-saving devices. And think about how the perceptions of leisure time has changed as well, because this impacts us. About 100 years ago, at least, to live a life of leisure was a sign of wealth. You didn't have to work. Now if we see someone not working, we don't think well of them. We think, why are they not working? You know, they're just sponging off the rest of us. Even the perceptions have changed. We must also consider what one author calls the death of Sabbath. That was his phrase, but what he's talking about was when our country specifically did away with blue laws. Remember blue laws? Sunday laws, some people called it, where everything stopped on Sunday. Businesses didn't open. I mean, it just didn't happen. There was nowhere to go because nothing was open. 
And even when some of the businesses started to opening, some of the states started lessening some of those blue laws, it was still respected by sports. There was no games. There were no practices. There were no rehearsals. There was no functions for your, to take your children on Sundays because that was considered Sunday. That was the day to worship. That was a family day. Hands off. Not true anymore. But you know what day in history maybe played the biggest role in our busy, distracted lives? 2007. It was 15 years ago today, January 9, 2007, the iPhone was introduced. About the same time, Facebook was open to anybody with an email address. Twitter became its own platform. All of that was like the perfect storm, and our world has never been the same. I could spend the rest of the morning quoting stats about how much time we spend looking at screens. That's a whole other set. Get some of these books I'm talking about. But they, they mention those quotes, and it is astounding. Psychologists make the point that the vast majority of Americans have a compulsion, if not an addiction. It's true, isn't it? I don't think any of us would deny there is a problem. So here's the question. With all this distraction, addiction, and crazy busy pace, what is it doing to our souls? One author even talked about the Amish, how they're not necessarily against inventions, but they're not the first one on the bus. They want to watch and see what it does to the culture, and if it's beneficial, then they'll adopt it. If it's not, then... They won't. We're not so wise, are we? We just jump on the latest one. Here's what it's doing. In a word, hurry sickness. Have you heard that phrase before? That disease before? One author said, hurry is not a disordered schedule. Hurry is a disordered heart. And so how do you know if you have hurry sickness? It's easy to listen to a lesson like this, like, oh, I know some people. They're in my family, they may be in my home, but it may be you. John Ortberg had several. Uh, John Mark Comers, I think, were a little more specific, and so I want to walk you through his. Just very quickly, there's blanks on the outline if you want to fill these out. They're also going to be on the screen. I want you to think about it. Give yourself a test and to see how many of these apply to you. But actually, think about it like this. Think about what would your family and friends and your coworkers say apply to you. Very quickly, I'm going to walk through these. The first one, irritability. You know what that means? Of course you do. You get mad. You get frustrated way too easily. This is a sign. Again, don't assess how you treat a coworker even or a, a stranger at a store. This is where you need to, how do you treat your family, the ones you live with? Number two, hypersensitivity. Minor things become a major emotional event. Giving grace, turning the other cheek, not likely to happen for you. Number three, restlessness. When you actually get time to slow down and rest, you can't. You can't just turn the mind off. It's just going 90 miles an hour. And to that, to that I mean, reading the Bible is boring. Prayer becomes empty. You try, but it just doesn't work. And you just wonder, what's wrong with me? You can't even watch a show without looking at your screen. Your TV, I mean your, your phone. Number five, 
Number four, nonstop activity or workaholism. The drug of choice is accomplishment or accumulation. And often, have you heard the phrase sunset fatigue? Sunset fatigue, have you heard of that? It's where you give your best self at work. You know, the first eight, ten hours a day, and then when you get home, you are so empty, you have nothing left for your spouse, for your children, to the people in your home who mean the most to you. And you treat them accordingly. Number five, emotional numbness. You fail to have the capacity to feel another's pain. Somebody's telling you something, and you just can't even feel it. Number six, priorities out of order. The tyranny of the urgent is trumping the important again and again. You're reactive instead of proactive. You're busier than ever, but you don't ever feel like you've got time to do what you want. Number seven, lack of care for your body. There's no time for exercise. There's no time for a good night's sleep. There's no time for a home-cooked meal actually eaten at a table. Number eight, escapist behaviors. When life gets so busy... We make poor choices. We eat the wrong food. Too much of it. Too much screen time. Drugs. Alcohol. Porn. All the more tempting when we are this crazy busy. Number nine, a slippage of spiritual disciplines. We mentioned that a moment ago. But the spiritual practices that should feed your soul don't. Even when you come to church on worship Sunday morning, your mind, you're thinking about the things I've got to get done before tomorrow. You're thinking about this week. You can't even focus on God. And number 10, isolation. You're so preoccupied with all we have to do, you cannot be fully present. So even if you are with people, you're not with them. You're not really listening. You're not really enjoying the moment. So you're disconnected with God. You're disconnected with people. You're disconnected from your own soul. The words of Jesus, Mark 8, 36, come to mind. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? So what's the cure? Sometimes when Thursday comes, I'll, I will tell the, the, the folks in the office, or I may even tell Celia, I said, I just need one more day. I need one more day. If I had one more day in this week, I, I would do better. And I was convicted as I was reading through this, the cure is not more time. You ever feel that way, though? If I had one more day, one more day in the weekend even, if I had one day, a Saturday to enjoy, then a Saturday to do all the chores, wouldn't that be great? And then Sunday for the Lord? But the answer is not one more day. Here's the cure I want to suggest. Be more like Jesus. Now, I don't want you to hear that and go, oh, yeah, I got it. Let's just sing the invitation song and we'll go to that coffee time we keep talking about. Be more like Jesus. Think about what that means to be like Jesus. It means to follow him in every way, in how he lived, to be a completely committed follower of Jesus. Now, think about it. When you are busy to the point of exhaustion, overcommitment, living in a state of hurry. None of that describes Jesus. That's not the way Jesus lived. That's, that was not him. You don't learn that from Jesus. In fact, Jesus is just the opposite. Look at the screen, Matthew 11, verses 28 and 29. Do you remember these words? In fact, can we say them together in unison? Let's do that. Ready? Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Don't you love that? Isn't that beautiful? I will give you rest. Oh, I need rest. Give me some of that rest. My yoke is easy. What does that mean? You know, even if you didn't grow up on a farm, you, you've heard this explained. You've studied this before. A yoke is just really just a, a device, an apparatus that would connect two animals, like maybe two oxen to pull a cart or two horses to, to pull a wagon. And so the idea of a yoke is then a, a, a farming apparatus. But it's more than that. And we understand that when Jesus is explaining this. Have you heard the prominent rabbis in that day had two things? One was a yoke, and that was a common idiom describing how that rabbi read the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. And basically then when you follow that rabbi, you listen to his teachings, and you also live the way he lived. And the Bible talks about that, being a follower of that rabbi or being a, dis a disciple. Well, that's what it meant. You follow their yoke. It's like, here's their way of living for God. This is what the law means, and this is how you live it out. And Jesus is saying, my yoke is easy. I believe this is why so many were attracted to Jesus. Because when he talked, it just made sense. And when he talked, it was so freeing, and the burdens just fell off, and, and everything they knew about the Torah, now it, it just clicked, and like, oh, this is what God had in mind. My yoke is easy. So a rabbi on that day had both a yoke, their approach to life, but also those who followed him. Listen how Eugene Peterson paraphrases these words of Jesus in the message are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. I want us to be challenged by that. If you are following Jesus, then you need to live like Jesus. Even the way you just go about your day. See, sometimes we think of this following Jesus means I've got to follow his morality. I've got to understand his doctrines. And I've got to get all of those right. And those are important. And we do need to get those right. But following him also means living like him. Even just going about our day. Now, we're not talking about living like him as far as his clothing styles or, or walking everywhere. But the way you do life, the way you prioritize people, the way you make the most of your time, the way you choose to be fully present with someone, not trying to look at your screen or thinking about other things that are calling for your attention. You do everything as to the Lord joyfully. You live the way Jesus lived. So again, maybe you focus only on the doctrines or only on the teachings, but you missed the follow Jesus part. 
We could spend the rest of the day talking about how Jesus was not hurried, but I want to just call your attention to a few. The, the references are going to be on the screen. You might want to mark these down on your notes and go back and read them more. But in Mark chapter 4, verse 35 through 41, Jesus modeled physical rest. He fell asleep in a boat and the disciples in the middle of a raging storm. And even when the others were friendly and wanting his help, Jesus was taking a nap. Don't you want to follow a Lord and Savior who loves to take a nap? Follow Jesus. That's what we're talking about here. He knew his body needed physical rest, and he was unapologetic. You don't see him going, oh, sorry about that. Falling asleep on the job. No, no apologies at all. In Mark chapter 6, verse 31 and 32, he forces his apostles to rest. You ever read it through a scripture and go, I didn't know that was in my Bible. Who snuck that in there? This is one of those for me. He said to them, come away by yourselves to a desert place and rest a while. Look at this next sentence. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. You ever had a day like that? You didn't have time to eat. So what does he say to do? Come away by yourselves to a desert place, desolate place and rest. Remember in John 11 when he heard his good friend Lazarus was sick and about to die? He didn't jump in a, 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 and start hurrying back so that he could keep him, heal him. Or even hurry back to, to uh, comfort his, his grieving sisters. Instead, you remember, he lingers for a couple more days even. Basically saying, I know this is for the glory of God. And then he said, hey, let's go to Bethany. Luke chapter 8. Verse 40 through 56 is another time where Jesus is teaching in the synagogue. A dad comes, his daughter is dying. Again, along the way, they're not driving 70 miles an hour, running through red lights. They're not avoiding the crowd. How can we get there fast enough? Because the daughter is dying. Come on, come on, come on, come on. In fact, you remember the story. Along the way, the woman comes up to him who has her own physical issue. And Jesus basically just stops the presses, fully engaged with her acknowledging her own need, her own healing at that moment. Just then the news comes, no need to bother the master. The daughter has died. And Jesus says, do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. In fact, the only time you read about Jesus being annoyed or even irritated, that was one of the words, remember, being irritable, is when dealing with the, uh, the difficulties of the religious leaders. That's when you find him being irritated, their hard-heartedness. So when you open your Bibles and you read about Jesus, you do not read about him blowing his thought because he was tired of waiting, because the deadlines were getting close, because he was having to endure some bad circumstances. He doesn't get all in the tizzy because the weather is less than desirable. Every day he's calmly present, enjoying the day. What you do read in Scripture it's about Jesus getting up early to go off by himself to be with his father. Sometimes he would go away overnight, even for a few weeks at a time, to get away from the crowds, to reconnect with God. We read about him sleeping and his disciples having to wake him up. Repeatedly you hear about him enjoying a nice meal with friends and making new friends at that very meal. 
Some of us buy into the mentality, I can be at first at work and the last to leave. You don't see that in Jesus at all. And don't forget, every week, Jesus kept the Sabbath. Every week, he made time. Jesus' mission was to please his Father in everything. Everything he taught, the way he healed people, that God would get the glory, but also the way he lived his life. And then he repeatedly said, and you remember his words, follow me. Follow me. Sometimes we think, you know, if I'm a, a disciple of Jesus, if I'm a follower of Jesus, if I'm a Christian, I got to make sure that, you know, I'm not cursing and I'm not doing this sin, I'm not doing that sin, and list all these, I can't do this. And we think nothing about living a life that is so busy, so crazy busy. It's nothing like Jesus. For 2022, each month, on the second Sunday night, we're going to have these home devotionals. And the theme is Paul's remember, reflect, for you to think about what's most important. Your elders and ministers want this to be not just, oh, Sunday night, nothing's going on, free, so you can jump in and get more laundry done, or one more head start toward Monday morning. We want you to make this a time, as the psalmist said, be still and know that I am God. What about the families with young children at home? Parents, let me ask you this question. How often do you intentionally pour spiritually into your children? You ask any of us, when our children are already out of the home, we would tell you we should have done it more. Isn't that true? I wish we had done that more. And that's our goal for you. Your children are still at home. And so we're going to give you this time to pour into them. It's not just bring them to Bible class. Yes, bring them to Bible class. You can enroll them at Columbia Academy and so that some people can teach them the Bible. We're talking about when your children hear you talk about God, what's important to you. Your, your children hear you pray for them by name. They hear what's important. What's your priority? So tonight, your church leaders are providing an excellent opportunity to do that. You've got some choices with the study guide, but I want to say this. You may not like that one at all. Do your own. You may have an even better way to connect your family to the Lord. But do that. That's our goal. Dad, you've heard sermon after sermon. You've read the scriptures about spiritually leading your home. This can be an excellent opportunity to do that. Take your Bible. Gather your children it could be after dinner, it could be right before bed, if the weather's permitting, maybe around the fire pit, whatever works for you. In a few moments, this can be a Sunday night each month that your whole family can look forward to. This is going to be good. I'm telling you, our teenagers are giving us the message, we need this. Parents, they may not say that to you, but that's what they're saying. So we need to do what we can to provide that. So parents, use this opportunity to connect your family to the Lord. It doesn't have to be long at all. But it needs to be deliberate, intentional, and meaningful. But what about those who maybe you don't have kids? In fact, maybe you're alone, never married, single, maybe divorced. 
Widowed, widower, what do you do with this kind of thing? What about those who are spiritually alone? They're married, but their spouse doesn't come to church. They're not interested in spiritual things. We all know there's something beyond description about gathering like on Sunday mornings with one another. The Lord commands us to do that. And it's good for us to encourage one another. We also know the Bible talks repeatedly about our personal relationship, our personal faith. Each of us has to have that relationship with God, not just because we're in a crowd. So it may be that a few moments in solitude for you is just what your soul needs to pause and reconnect with your Father. So you can make this a special time as well. Another option for adults is to get with other adults, do it together. Maybe think of somebody who's been visiting West Seventh or someone who's new, or, or maybe even a neighbor that, you know, they may not come to church with you, they may not want to come to a small group Bible study with others they don't know, but they might gather with you and say, hey, let's just go over this verse. Let's pray together. This can be such a good opportunity. The possibilities for encouraging others to love and good deeds is endless here. Pause. That's the word. Be still and know that I am God. I hope you'll do just that. This morning we close by offering the invitation. If you're in need of baptism, we always have the water ready. Jesus is the only way. And he is taking care of your sin problem by dying on the cross for you. And if you believe and are ready to confess your faith and have your sins washed away in baptism, we will help you with that. We also have a prayer room to your right. Even after we worship, if you need a private prayer, an elder will be there and you can share. If there's something we can pray for you publicly, you can come down during the invitation song. We did that last week. We can do that from time to time. Whatever you need, once you come as we stand and sing to encourage you.